Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so the only reason I brought up the whole NPR thing and the Declaration of Independence, look, they're free to do whatever they want to do. They don't have to uh, read the Declaration of Independence every single year. You want to scrap the tradition? Go for it. Whatever. You do you. Um, but I just point out that they get our taxpayer funds, and I don't like it. Okay, and, and, and also, also, this is part of a larger shift that's occurring. It's part of... Uh, a, a larger pressure campaign. And Selena Zito, writing at uh, the Washington Examiner, mentioned uh, another element of this same campaign, and that is the Freedom From Religious, uh, sorry, Freedom From Religion Foundation, the FFRF. And 12 years ago, this organization began going after people and institutions uh, that had any kind of, you know, prayer in public or anything like that. And by the way, I'll be watching, I think, tonight, the county commissioners. I've kind of, it's, it, I'm waiting to see when is the first time. I've been watching county commissioner meetings now for uh, almost a year. And I do not recall a single one of their meetings that has opened with a Christian prayer. Oh, they have read from various books and talked about various cultures from all over the world. Somebody read a poem one time. This was for their 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 prayer, their opening with prayer, or their their moment of prayer, whatever it is, or moment of contemplation. I think they changed it to that. They never, nobody ever talks about God or Jesus. I'm not saying you have to. I just note the difference. County commission just you know completely comprised of Democratic members. So the FFRF alerts, they have this thing set up on their website, uh, and they have been used by activists anonymously to report a school that's allowing silent prayer before high school football games, after games, at a flagpole, whatever. They have this whole alert system, a rat service. That's what it is, right? It's a snitch line. I saw some people bow their heads. I think they may have been praying. And so then you go to the website, clickety-clack, and in swoops the FFRF. They then uh, make some threats to the schools and the school's cave. All across the country, activists pushing freedom from religion have contributed to reshaping the culture and traditions at public forums. They also have been very successful at eliminating moments of silence or prayer at local municipal meetings with varying degrees of backlash from the communities. But none of those communities took it as far as the Supreme Court until Joe Kennedy, not of that Kennedy bunch. No, this guy was a Seattle area assistant football coach. He got suspended from his job and then fired for praying before and after his high school football games. So he took it all the way to the Supreme Court and he won. He won. It took seven years, but he won. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote in the majority opinion that the coach's private prayer at the 50-yard line was protected by the First Amendment. Why? Glad you asked. Because it was done at a time when school employees were free to speak with a friend, call uh, call for a reservation at a restaurant, check email, or attend to other personal matters. Right? Game's over. Game's over. Guy wants to go out and do a prayer at the 50-yard line. It's his time. He can do that. The majority ruling makes it very clear. You don't give up your private religious life and the ability to express it in your workplace simply because you are a public employee. 
Selena Zito goes on to say, if you take all of the body of work on religious liberty cases together, it's a massive, massive change that moves the country ever so slowly back to its center-right equilibrium after being dragged so hard towards the left by our cultural curators over the past decade. That's why they were upset. That's why people freaked out about this ruling. No more wall separation between church and state, like that sort of argument. Yeah. To this day, the press, Democrats, but I repeat myself, even some Republicans have never understood the conservative populist coalition that formed before Donald Trump ever ran for office. He was always the result of it. He was never the cause. See, what has happened in this country in the last decade or so was that liberalism went from let's all coexist and turned into if you don't agree with us, you're a bigot. And people who listen to talk radio know that because we've been documenting this stuff for years. I remember. So when I worked here prior uh, 10 years ago, we used to laugh about these crazy Kids on campuses and some of their professors, they're just like saying the stupidest things. Oh, my gosh. Like the cry closets and the safe spaces. Oh, we laughed and laughed. And we thought, you know, when they get out into the society, they're going to learn pretty quick that no one cares about your feelings and like all this stuff. We thought that getting into the real world would change them. But in fact, they have changed the real world. For the, for the worse, right? So that shift from let's coexist to agree with us or you're a bigot, that shift told a lot of particularly evangelical voters that they had to begin voting on religious liberty, even though some components of liberalism were attractive to them. But the constant beating of the bigot drum on everything, whether it was education or crime or the border, it brought along suburban voters, blue-collar voters, women, Hispanics, and they joined with the evangelicals to form this coalition. That's Selena Zito writing at the Washington Examiner. Um, and it's a much longer piece. I encourage you to read it. But this then brings me to Joe Biden's record on sex ed. And it is really a great example of how far the Democratic Party and the media, but I repeat myself, uh, have shifted. How extreme they have become. You know the example, right, on, um, on immigration, for example, right? The, just not even 10 years ago. You have, we got quotes from Biden and Obama and Hillary that sound like, you know, right-wingers nowadays talking about border uh, control, border security. And nowadays, they'd be run out of the Democrat Party if they said those things. They have flipped. They have flipped. So, too, on this issue. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so the only reason I brought up the whole NPR thing and the Declaration of Independence. Look, they're free to do whatever they want to do. They don't have to uh, read the Declaration of Independence every single year. You want to scrap the tradition? Go for it. Whatever. You do you. Um, but I just point out that they get our taxpayer funds, and I don't like it. Okay. And, and, and also, also, 
this is part of a larger shift that's occurring. It's part of uh, a, a larger pressure campaign. And Selena Zito, writing at uh, the Washington Examiner, mentioned uh, another element of this same campaign, and that is the Freedom from Religious, uh, sorry, Freedom from Religion Foundation, the FFRF. And 12 years ago, this organization began going after people and institutions uh, that had any kind of, you know, prayer in public or anything like that. And by the way, I'll be watching, I think, tonight, the county commissioners. I've kind of, it's, it, I'm waiting to see when is the first time. I've been watching county commissioner meetings now for uh, almost a year. And I do not recall a single one of their meetings that has opened with a Christian prayer. Oh, they have read from various books and talked about various cultures from all over the world. Somebody read a poem one time. This was for their 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 prayer, their opening with prayer, or their, their moment of prayer, whatever it is, or moment of contemplation. I think they changed it to that they never, nobody ever talks about God or Jesus. I'm not saying you have to. I just note the difference. County Commission just you know, completely comprised of Democratic members. So the FFRF alerts. They have this thing set up on their website, uh, and they have been used by activists anonymously to report a school that's allowing silent prayer before high school football games, after games, at a flagpole, whatever. They have this whole alert system, a rat service. That's what it is, right? It's a snitch line. I saw some people bow their heads. I think they may have been praying. <sighs> and so then you go to the website, clickety-clack, and in swoops the FFRF. They then uh, make some threats to the schools, and the schools cave. All across the country, activists pushing freedom from religion have contributed to reshaping the culture and traditions at public forums. They also have been very successful at eliminating moments of silence or prayer at local municipal meetings with varying degrees of backlash from the communities. But none of those communities took it as far as the Supreme Court until Joe Kennedy, not of that Kennedy bunch. No, this guy was a Seattle area assistant football coach. He got suspended from his job and then fired for praying before and after his high school football games. So he took it all the way to the Supreme Court and he won. He won. It took seven years, but he won. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote in the majority opinion that the coach's private prayer at the 50-yard line was protected by the First Amendment. Why? Glad you asked. Because it was done at a time when school employees were free to speak with a friend, call, a uh, call for a reservation at a restaurant, check email, or attend to other personal matters. Right? The game's over. Game's over. Guy wants to go out and do a prayer at the 50-yard line. It's his time. He can do that. The majority ruling makes it very clear. You don't give up your private religious life and the ability to express it in your workplace simply because you are a public employee. Selena Zito goes on to say, if you take all of the body of work on religious liberty cases together, it's a massive, massive change that moves the country ever so slowly back to its center-right equilibrium after being dragged so hard towards the left by our cultural curators over the past decade. That's why they were upset. That's why people freaked out about this ruling. 
No more wall separation between church and state. Like that sort of argument. Yeah. To this day, the press, Democrats, but I repeat myself, even some Republicans have never understood the conservative populist coalition that formed before Donald Trump ever ran for office. He was always the result of it. He was never the cause. See, what has happened in this country in the last decade or so was that liberalism went from let's all coexist and turned into if you don't agree with us, you're a bigot. And people who listen to talk radio know that because we've been documenting this stuff for years. I remember, so when I worked here prior, uh, 10 years ago, we used to laugh about these crazy Kids on campuses and some of their professors, they're just like saying the stupidest things. Oh, my gosh. Like the cry closets and the safe spaces. Oh, we laughed and laughed. And we thought, you know, when they get out into the society, they're going to learn pretty quick that no one cares about your feelings and like all this stuff. We thought that getting into the real world would change them. But in fact, they have changed the real world. For the, for the worse, right? So that shift from let's coexist to agree with us or you're a bigot, that shift told a lot of particularly evangelical voters that they had to begin voting on religious liberty, even though some components of liberalism were attractive to them. But the constant beating of the bigot drum on everything, whether it was education or crime or the border, it brought along suburban voters, blue-collar voters, women, Hispanics, and they joined with the evangelicals to form this coalition. That's Selena Zito writing at the Washington Examiner. Um, And it's a much longer piece. I encourage you to read it. But this then brings me to Joe Biden's record on sex ed. And it is really a great example of how far the Democratic Party and the media, but I repeat myself, uh, have shifted. How extreme they have become. You know the example, right, on um, on immigration, for example, right? The, just not even 10 years ago. You have, we got quotes from Biden and Obama and Hillary that sound like, you know, right-wingers nowadays talking about border uh, control, border security. And nowadays, they'd be run out of the Democrat Party if they said those things. They have flipped. They have flipped. So, too, on this issue. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete. Uh, you can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Uh... Let me see here. I got an email. Hang on. Just checking the email as I said it. Uh, why do they call someone reckless when they do, in fact, have a wreck? That's one of the mysteries of life, says Tim, the reckless driver. Coverage. Um, okay, so here's Denny who says, okay, Pete, you lost me on this one. Having a whole show and the creative condescending nickname only give the shooter the notoriety he craves. Looking forward to tomorrow's show. Those are what I call the program director emails. 
Yeah. Well, see, Denny, in order to identify sort of the similar fact patterns and how we're supposed to address them, unless, of course, you just say we shouldn't even address the fact pattern and we should ignore those things so this way we're all ignorant of them. So when we see them, we're not aware that that's the fact pattern to identify that this person might be a shooter. So we should be ignorant of that. And then being ignorant of that, that allows the people who say it's the guns and we should just overhaul all of the gun policy. That's the that that would be the appropriate response. We would be completely incapacitated in that debate because we wouldn't know the fact pattern that actually is more important. So, yeah, no, I'm no, I. It's funny, too, because, see, Denny didn't like the fact that I did the coverage today. But yesterday I got a call from someone who was mad that I didn't do coverage. This is this is the life, the life of a radio host. By the way, uh, heads up next Wednesday, not today, next Wednesday, between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., they're doing the um, uh, nuclear station sirens. So it's going to run for like anywhere from five seconds to 30 seconds, sometime within that two hour window. Um so you don't need to do anything. It's just a test. All right. Don't freak out. It's just a test. All right. So uh, Florida did the law that don't say gay, which is not what it says. Law got national attention, right? Because they had the temerity to suggest that you should not, as a teacher, engage in classroom instruction related to sexual orientation or gender identity in K through three. And requiring parental involvement in decisions about a student's mental health, right? For this, they were branded as bigots. Shortly after the bill got signed, Joe Biden called it hateful. His press secretary, Jen Circleback-Sackey, claimed that the legislation was designed to target and attack children. Called it cruel and harmful. The Secretary of Transportation, Pete Bootygig, labeled the law dangerous. His partner said the law is going to kill kids. But as he has on so many other key cultural questions, Rachel Bovard at the Federalist writes, Joe Biden has evolved on the issue of classroom instruction about sexual orientation. See, back in 1994, uh, there was in the summer, the Senate began debate on the uh, Elementary and Secondary Education Act. It was the primary federal education law, okay? And as part of this debate, Bob Smith from New Hampshire, a Republican, offers an amendment that would prohibit schools from receiving funds under the bill. You couldn't use them to encourage or support homosexuality as a positive lifestyle alternative. Jesse Helms swooped in to sign on to that, amended the amendment to shield it from modification, blah, 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 doesn't matter. Uh, Smith brings it to the floor, and with it, He's got a bunch of books and pamphlets featuring discussion and graphic images about sexuality. Any of this sound familiar? All of these materials had been prepared for kids. In pops Senator Ted Kennedy. Democrat, Massachusetts, dubbed the liberal lion of the Senate and for whom a room in the U.S. Capitol is named. He comes to the floor with a compromise, along with jumping Jim Jeffords of Vermont, then still a Republican, Kennedy appended the Smith-Helms Amendment with language to, in his words, assure that federal funds are not used to promote or encourage sexual activity of any kind. Right? That's... right. No funds can be used to develop materials or programs directed at youth 
that are designed to directly promote or encourage sexual activity, whether homosexual or heterosexual. The Senate passed that amendment 99 to 0 with every Senate Democrat, including Joe Biden, voting for it. He voted for it. The very thing that he now decries as hateful, he voted for at a federal level. This is worth noting, Bovard writes, because it demonstrates just how far the Democratic Party has shifted on these cultural questions in two decades. But also to highlight just how far Biden actually exists outside of his positioning on the campaign trail as a moderate, right? Biden has emerged as a willing handmaiden to the progressive jihad in the culture wars, she says. While the left loves to blame the right for stirring up the culture wars, a Democratic Party that insists six-year-olds have to be exposed to overtly sexual material, they're not the victim in the culture war. They're the aggressor. Right? If you're saying six-year-olds need to be exposed to that, you're the aggressor, not the people who say, whoa, 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 let the kid be a kid. In many cases, the rest of the country is just trying to keep up as the left moves the cultural goalposts and alters our language in the process, right, to more and more extreme positions, it seems, every single week. Biden's evolution is a proxy for the evolution of the Democratic Party. When he voted the way he did back in 1994, right, it's instructive because how closely the debate 30 years ago mirrors the same debate that's going on in states all over the country right now. Parents are objecting to graphic novels and books in school libraries that show and discuss explicit images of sexual behavior to young kids. They're objecting to, in many cases, an ideologically driven attempt to present inappropriate sexual content and curriculum to kids without their consent. And in 1994, Joe Biden took the side of the parents in those disputes. Today, both he and his party call those parents bigots and hateful, right? It's another example of how far the party has shifted. Here's another example. I asked this question of a local uh, uh, North Carolina candidate for office. What's a woman? Matt Walsh has a whole movie. What's a, what is a woman? Fox News, Timothy Nerosi decided to pose this question to a bunch of uh, federal agencies. DOJ, Department of Ed, HUD, Bureau of Prisons. None of them could provide a definition. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Fox News went and asked various federal agencies for their definitions of a woman. And uh, they asked the DOJ, they asked Department of Education, Housing and Urban Development, Bureau of Prisons, and none of the agencies provided their definition or criteria for an individual to be categorized as a woman. Why is this important? Well, each of these organizations have initiatives aimed at helping women. (laughs) So you got an initiative aimed to help women, but we don't know what a woman is. So, shut up. Fox News Digital also reached out to the National Institutes of Health to request the organization's definition of woman in relation to terms such as women's rights, 
women's health care, for example. The NIH describes itself as, quote, the steward of medical and behavioral research for the nation. And its purpose is to seek fundamental knowledge about the nature and behavior of living systems. And so uh, when they asked, uh, when they were asked by Fox News Digital, NIH sent Fox over to the website, said, uh, look at the website. We have our definitions of sex and gender over there. And uh, at the website, it says sex refers to biological differences between females and males, including chromosomes, sex organs, and endogenous hormonal profiles. Gender refers to socially constructed and enacted roles and behaviors which occur in a historical and cultural context and vary across societies and over time. All individuals act in many ways that fulfill the gender expectations of their society. With continuous interaction between sex and gender, health is determined by both biology and the expression of gender. Do you notice what's missing in any of that? Yeah, the definition of a woman. <laughs> that's, that's what's missing. The literature provided by the NIH did not address the meaning of woman or women in relation to sex or gender. Despite using the word frequently in their writing, no explanation is given on whether the word women, as used by the NIH, is descriptive of sex or gender. See, that really is the issue here. This is why I joke about it in a way like sex is to the left. Sex and gender are not the same things unless we need them to be, in which case they will be, but just for that limited circumstance, and then they go back to not being the same thing. That's all you need to know. They use the terms. They will conflate the terms when they need to. When they need to, you know, create another protected class, then they'll say, oh, you know what? We thought Congress, they did need gender identity when they said sex back in the 60s, and they wrote that into the law. And then even though members of Congress who were still alive from back then, they were like, no, we didn't. We were just talking about men and women, just biological sex. But now you get this new interpretation. We're going to include other things in the word sex. And one of those things is gender identity. And that's part of that definition, even though you keep telling us they're different. Sex and gender are different unless we need them to be the same. And so here they go through and they talk about, oh, here is the difference between females and males. That's sex. But then there's the whole gender thing. And gender refers to socially constructed roles and blah, 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 blah. But what's a woman? What would that be? What is the definition when you're talking about your programs and initiatives? The Department of Health and Human Services, they didn't even give an answer. The Rand Corporation, that's a think tank entirely funded almost by the U.S. government for purposes of consultation on military policy. They stated they did not have a definition for the word woman, despite extensive research into women's rights, health, and fitness. No definition. We're just doing all this research on stuff we cannot even define. Asked how Rand is able to measure or research the impacts to women of various policies without a definition of the word, uh, Rand Corporation did not respond. Yeah, they get like 70% of their funds from the taxpayers. And then there was this story by Abigail Schreier. She's got a Substack. Um, she did a big story a couple uh, months back talking about uh, teachers, activist teachers, shady tactics of them 
in San Francisco to California teachers. And the San Francisco Chronicle then did a follow-up on the reporting. Um, California Teachers Association Conference, right? The CTA at this conference, two middle school teachers from Spreckles, California, instructed educators statewide on how to establish middle school LGBTQ clubs, recruit students, and hold meetings, all while concealing these clubs and their membership from the students' parents. The teachers even told their audience that they had monitored students' Google searches and chat histories to determine which students might be receptive to in-person invitations to the clubs. The Chronicle did a lengthy story in Apologia, uh, provides a worthy case study of the captured media's attempt to defend the indefensible, how to rally behind those caught instructing educators statewide to deceive parents about their own kids. These teachers were instructing educators at a statewide conference on tactics for recruiting kids and deliberately deceiving parents. She published uh, published the piece on what uh, her, her uh, publication is called The Truth Fairy. Great name. And then she started getting inundated with uh, uh, evidence from parents going back years about this stuff. Years. This used to, this used to be a, an agreed-upon standard that you don't talk to young kids about this kind of stuff in class. Here you go. Imagine if it was a religious club. Imagine if it was a religious club on campus that was telling the students, don't tell your parents you're part of this club. Deceiving the parents that the kids are members. Do you think that these folks might have a problem with it? Oh, I suspect they would.